0: Hi everyone, a quick comment before the episode starts. To keep making these episodes, we need your support.
1: Give us your subscriptions, your likes, your comments.
2: You're tired, you're poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free.
3: Um, Nabila?
2: No? No, it's not that
1: serious.
3: Wherever you're listening, please subscribe, like, leave a review,
1: leave a comment, turn on that notification bell, and definitely share.
3: But.
0: We do want the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. From Triple E Media. I'm Ramat Mohammed and this is The Backstory. violent conflict in history was between a farmer and a herdsman
3: Cain was a farmer and his younger brother Abel was a herdsman
0: and of course Cain
1: and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve
2: now these brothers Cain
3: and Abel all they
2: wanted was to please the Lord and to do that they had to give God the best
1: portions of their harvest so one day they gathered their offerings to take to God Cain gave his, and then Abel gave his. In the end, God accepted Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's.
3: Because you see, Cain, who was the farmer, did not give the best fruits of the ground. He figured he could give God his second best. But Abel the herdsman, well, he brought his best meat, the best cuts, prime meat, so to speak.
1: Now, after God rejected Cain's offering, he got jealous and angry. God tried to calm Cain down and explain to him where he had gone wrong, but Cain could not be consoled.
2: Cain held on to his jealousy and the anger kept building up and up until one day the two brothers were out in the field. And it was then and there that Cain the farmer killed Abel, his brother the herdsman.
0: Okay, so now let's Fast forward about 17 generations later to the story of Abraham and Lot. (laughs) These descendants of Adam and Eve have now figured out ways to settle conflicts without killing each other. Abraham had a nephew. His name was Lot.
3: At one point, they lived together in Bethel, which is somewhere in modern-day Israel or Palestine.
1: And Abraham and Lot were both headsmen. Now, as time went on, Their livestock grew large to the point where the shepherds were always having conflicts over land.
3: To resolve
2: this, Abraham one day says to Lot, Look all around. There's plenty of land. Take your cattle and go one way. I will go the other way. And that's what they did. They went their separate ways, each searching for greener pastures.
0: Conflict resolved. Now let's fast forward again nearly 6,000 years later.
2: Central Nigeria is plagued by communal violence. Hundreds of people have died this year alone as herders and farmers fight for grazing
1: rights and access to fertile
2: land.
0: Are the need scenes of tension brewing
1: between indigents who are predominantly farmers and the settlers who are mostly herdsmen. The arrival of the law enforcement team is timely and prevents the phase from escalating into a full-blown conflict. Arteria loses $12 billion yearly as a result of the farmers' herders clashes. This information was disclosed.
0: As you heard from those news clips, we really haven't made much progress in ending conflicts between farmers and nomadic herders. Today on The Backstory, Anthony Richard and Nabila explain... Why it is that in the year 2021, Nigeria is still struggling with conflicts between farmers and nomadic herders. The reason why the
3: conflict between farmers and nomadic herders exists in the first place is because they both rely on the same resources: land and water, specifically arable land, forest land, and fresh water
1: and two resources in particular, forest land and freshwater have been declining significantly.
2: The World Bank estimates that between 1962 and 2018, Nigeria's freshwater per capita resources decreased by 75%. The other type of resource that's important in this story is forest land. According to World Bank data, Nigeria's forest land has been steadily declining since 1990. In 1990, an estimated 29% of Nigeria's land area was forest. By 2018, that had decreased to
3: 24%.
1: And as forest land and freshwater resources have been decreasing, nomadic herders have been interacting more and more with farmers on arable land.
3: Arable land is land that is suitable for growing crops. And non-arable land is not
0: suitable for crops.
3: That's right. Maybe it could be too hot like the desert, or too cold like the Arctic, too rocky like the mountains, too rainy like the floodlands. These are all just areas where crops cannot grow.
1: Now in Nigeria, arable land, that's the land suitable for crops, has actually increased since the 1960s. In
2: 1961, about 25% of total land area in Nigeria was arable land. Now, that dropped to 18% in 1981. But by 2007, arable land area had actually expanded to 40% of total land in Nigeria. And in 2018, it was about
0: 37%. So on the one hand, since the 1960s, farmers have had more and more land to grow their crops.
3: Yes, but on the other hand, the forests and freshwater resources have been decreasing. So nomadic herders have had less and less resources to manage their livestock.
1: Now, despite the decreasing resources, overall livestock production, including cattle production, has actually been increasing.
2: According to NOMA, a global data set organization, Nigeria's cattle population was about 6 million in 1961. In 1971, that number went up to 9.2 million, a 50% increase. By 2019, it had doubled to about 20 million, which is about one cow for every 10 people. And if we keep eating meat at that rate, the Food and Agricultural Organization estimates that by 2050, we'll have about 36.8 million heads of cattle to feed 400 million people.
0: Okay, wait, hang on. The herders have fewer resources. Forest land and fresh water have been decreasing, but yet we're producing more cattle. Exactly. How does that work? Overgrazing.
1: Overgrazing.
0: Basically,
3: the herders have been overgrazing the land. So let's say, for example, that a cattle route in 1960 was accommodating 100,000 cattle. Because of the population increase, by 2019, that same cattle route now may accommodate 1 million. So there's more stress on the land, less time for the land to recover, and more soil erosion. And more soil erosion means less grassland is available.
1: Now, on top of overgrazing, There are other factors that have contributed to the decrease in available resources to herdsmen. There is deforestation, climate change, the encroachment of farmlands onto cattle grazing areas, and the growth of urban areas and roads, which have been blocking cattle routes. All of these has led to more interactions between nomadic herding communities and local farming communities, which often escalate into violence.
0: Okay, but Richard, these issues, they didn't happen overnight. Government had advance warnings about overgrazing, climate change, and all the other factors that you mentioned. Academics have been raising alarms about all of this throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s.
1: That's true. And in response to these warnings, the government had actually passed a series of laws.
0: For example, in
3: 1965, the grazing reserves law was enacted in the northern region. The purpose of that law was for the northern region, which eventually became the northern states, to establish grazing reserves.
1: Part of the thinking at the time was that having grazing reserves for nomadic herders would allow them to have land rights. And once they have become more settled in reserves, they would also have access to health facilities, education, and they could even participate in political decision making.
2: Now, the only ban we could find on grazing at the time was in 1971, when the federal government banned grazing on highways. Otherwise, the federal government allowed states and local governments to have full control over how they assigned rights to land for the purpose of grazing and other agricultural activities. The only thing the laws and decrees mandated was that the rights and interests of all Nigerians to use and enjoy land in Nigeria
1: should be assured, protected, and preserved. Now, based on the laws, states and local governments can't deny a Nigerian's right to graze their livestock, but they can certainly regulate how grazing is done in their states and local governments. By
3: 1989, the federal government realized that there was still a gap in integrating nomadic heather communities into local communities. So they enacted another law to establish the National Commission for Nomadic Education. And just like the name implies, The objective of the commission was, and still is, to improve nomadic education in Nigeria.
1: Now, at the time that the commission was launched, the population of nomadic people in Nigeria was about 9.3 million, with a literacy rate below 1%. To deliver on their mandate, the commission was empowered to work with other ministries to establish grazing reserves and settlements for the purpose of setting up schools.
2: Another law that the federal government passed was most likely in response to increased flooding due to environmental degradation. And that was a law passed in 2009 to protect watershed, mountainous, hilly, and catchment areas.
1: The 2009 law empowered the National Environmental Standards and Regulations Enforcement Agency to regulate these areas based on the assessment of the risks for environmental degradation. For example, if the land is to be used for grazing, The law allows the agency to limit the number of animals that can graze on the land. By 2011, more regulations were passed, giving the agency more powers, but this time focused more on stopping desertification and encouraging reforestation.
3: In 2011, an investigation was commissioned by the federal government into election violence. One of the findings in the report was that grazing routes, which used to exist throughout the country, have been obliterated by increasing urbanization and road construction. The recommendation from the investigation was that the government should ensure that each state defines its cattle roots and harmonizes them with other states. Government accepted the recommendation and assigned the task to the National Economic Council.
0: Okay, so based on everything you're telling me, the government has actually been passing laws that were designed to collectively prevent the farmer-herder crisis. For example, the laws to set up grazing reserves, especially in the northern states, would have allowed the nomadic communities to begin to settle in one place while still engaging in cattle production. And then once they begin to settle, the Commission on Nomadic Education could really start to do its work of educating the young generation of nomads and integrating them into the formal system. And the idea there is that over a generation of education, we would expect that these young ones no longer know the nomadic lifestyle and they would then be absorbed into the settler lifestyle, which means fewer nomads. Fewer nomads means fewer clashes with farmers, fewer conflicts, fewer deaths. That's right. And then on top of that, you add the laws around reforestation. That would have allowed us to keep expanding land that would be available for more cattle reserves if we needed them. So the grand plan is all there. It's all in the laws that have been passed since 1965. So why are we here? Why were more than two thousand people killed in twenty eighteen in farmer herder crisis? Why do they continue to clash? They continue to clash because the plans were
3: mostly just that—they were just plans, beautiful plans on paper. We either never implemented the plans or barely implemented them. In nineteen eighty seven, Moses Awobody published an analysis of grazing reserves in Nigeria. Remember that the 1965 grazing reserves law was passed to establish grazing reserves in the Northern
1: region. Awo published his analysis 22 years after the law was passed. And in those 22 years, according to him, we failed to make progress to establish reserves on a large scale.
2: For example, in Gongola state, which was later divided from Adama and Taraba states, there'd been plans for 74 reserves. At the time of his publication, only one reserve was physically developed and had some settlement. Bhoji State had 105 proposed reserves, and again, only one was in the pilot development stage.
1: Our body cites various reasons for why development has been slow, and funding was not one of those reasons. At organizations like the Food and Agriculture Organization the United Nations Development Programme, and even World Bank, we are willing to contribute funds.
3: But even with the funds, this problem of turning nomads into settlers is really hard to solve. Our body found in his analysis that it's not just about giving them land for their cattle. For example, is the reserve suitable for the animals all year round? The cattle need to have access to water and feed during the dry season. There have to be ways to prevent and treat diseases like sassy infections, so you need veterinary outposts. You also need rural healthcare centers for the nomads.
1: And don't forget the marketing facilities. Once you raise the cattle, you have to sell them. And then there is establishing the model for ownership in the reserves. Who owns the land? Is it owned by one individual and everyone else pays rent? Or is it a joint ownership?
3: So once the pilots began, people started to encounter these issues. And frankly, the political will to continue simply faded in most cases. Without these reserves, the mandate
2: to establish nomadic education didn't really take off the way it was supposed to. Now, the National Commission for Nomadic Education still functions till today. And according to the commission's website, they have established over 4,000 nomadic schools with over 17,000 teachers They say they have graduated over 45,000 students since inception and integrated over 40,000
1: students from nomadic schools into government unity schools. So the commission is there and it's doing what it can. But when you consider how much harder their job is without the reserves, it's a miracle they are able to do anything at all.
3: And now, 30 plus years later, there is still a generation of over 10 million nomads who have not been integrated into our formal systems through education. 30 years and we're still in the same place.
1: So in 2019, the Buhari administration through the National Economic Council launched yet another comprehensive plan to encourage nomadic herders to switch to ranching.
2: It's called the National Livestock Transformation Plan, and it's a 10-year plan. The goal is that by the end of 2028, there'll be at least 119 ranches fully operating in all participating states, and two million jobs will be created in livestock production, processing, and marketing. We are now two years into that plan, and according to the International Crisis Group, as of May this year, the first new ranch has yet to be built.
0: We all have that one friend The friend that's in a terrible relationship, they complain about it all the time. Now they know that they need to leave the relationship intellectually. They know what to do. And they even know how to do it. But they can't because they haven't been pushed far enough. They haven't had enough. Nigeria has known what to do about the farmer herder crisis we've known since 1965. We've done some things every now and then to ease the burden, but we haven't had the will to take the bold step, to take that leap to get out of a lifestyle that's not working, that is not sustainable, because we haven't had enough. We haven't been pushed to our breaking point. That friend of yours, Maybe their partner has started to emotionally abuse them, and maybe that's enough for them to finally take action, but maybe not. Then maybe the abuse escalates to physical abuse, and that could be enough. How many more cycles of herd or farmer crises can we tolerate? When will it be enough? We have all the plans, all the experts in the world, But what will it take to push us to make the leap out of a lifestyle that is not working anymore? Now, if your friend sticks around even after the physical abuse, you know what's next. Is Nigeria willing to gamble to find out what's next? In Nigeria, we like to have grand plans. And I will admit that this particular challenge of transforming the nomadic lifestyle needs a grand plan. But for the grand plan to work and for it to be sustainable, the execution cannot be overly centralized. Now, I know that in Nigeria, we like things to be centralized, but the risk with that model is that everyone can sit and fold their hands to wait for the central function to do the thinking and the work. The implementation of this plan, the National Livestock Transformation Plan, that should be done using a distributed network model. This is where the decision-making powers, the resources, responsibilities, the rewards, and the risks are shared across the basic unit of membership. In this case, the local governments that are impacted. A distributed operational model will require more resources. But in the long run, it results in a much more sustainable, much more resilient network. But the key question in all of this is, are we ready? Have we had enough? The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production Copyright 2021, Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Episodes of this podcast and our other podcasts can also be found on our website, 234audio.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Backstory was produced by Antonietta Kalunta, Richard Anyabe, Nabila Usman, Dominic Tabakaji, and Sam Tabakaji. Executive producer Ramat Muhammad. Special thanks to Rabia Hadeja and Malaiwa Bagduo Ikaleku. If you are interested in sponsoring this program, reach out to us at 0818-230-1234. Or email us at info at 234audio.com. I'm Ramat Muhammad. See you next week.